0: Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center, and today our guest is Dr. Ken Quisenberry. Dr. Quisenberry, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Joe.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Dr. Quisenberry, can you please introduce yourself and tell us about your
1: background, please? Thank you, Joe. As you said, I'm Ken Quisenberry. Uh, Most of the people at the university know me as Dr. Q. Quisenberry being a name that's harder to pronounce. Uh, the students and everybody know me as Dr. Q. I am a retired uh, emeritus forage breeder, uh, still working part time with uh, Dr. Esteban Rios and his forage breeding program, and also with Dr. Kevin Kenworthy and his forage and turf breeding program.
0: And Dr. Quisenberry, when you start your career, uh, tell us a little bit about the the focus of your breeding program.
1: Thank you. When I came on board in April of 1975, uh, the assignment that I was given was to begin evaluation of a collection of limpelgrace germplasm that had been accumulated at the university and to determine if there were uh, genetic materials in that collection that might uh, merit release as a new cultivar of limpelgrace. In addition to that, I had uh, significant teaching responsibilities, teaching undergraduate genetics and plant breeding uh, for the agronomy department.
0: And before we talk more about the limpo grass, that I think is probably the main topic of interest, can you tell us about your background? Because you came as a clover breeder,
1: correct? Correct. So for those of you who want to get get in contact with me, my email address is very easy to remember. It is clover at ufl.edu. Uh, And that's because I had worked with red clover uh, for my Ph.D. training at the University of Kentucky. And within about five years of coming here with some encouragement from one of our other faculty members, Dr. Gordon Prine, I began a program of breeding and selection for a southern U.S. adapted red clover population. And,
0: and Dr. Kusenberg, can you tell us a little summary about the breeding program at the University of Florida, forage breeding program, during your time with the
1: university? Sure. Uh, so as I indicated, at that time I was working primarily with limple grass and clovers. Uh, we had uh, another breeder who was working with uh, digit grasses and penicetums, uh, the elephant grasses in that group of material. Uh, and then, uh, a little bit later on, Dr. Gordon Prime began working with annual ryegrass. So those were kind of the major focuses of uh, the breeding program during those years. Uh, there was a white clover variety that was released in the mid-1980s called Osceola that was a very successful white clover variety. Uh, and then we began and released the first red clover called Cherokee. Uh, And then more recently, Southern Bell and Barduro red clover, and those have found kind of limited success in South Florida, but in the panhandle of Florida and across the coastal plains of the U.S., they've been fairly widely adapted. And Really, for the first time, we now have both red and white clovers that are adapted to the deep South U.S.
0: And and then, Dr. Crisenberry, you, you came actually with the clover training, but you work with the limpo grass. Can you please tell
1: us that story about the limpo grass? Okay, so as I indicated earlier, uh, we had this large collection of about 75 or 80 plant introductions. And a plant introduction is nothing more than a collection of grass from someplace, and primarily in this case it was Southern Africa, uh, that was brought to the U.S., uh, and we began to evaluate those first in small plots with mowing and then later uh, with a little bit larger plots under animal defoliation uh, to make sure that anything that we released had good uh, persistence It stood up under intensive grazing pressure by beef cattle. And, and so myself and uh, another uh, faculty member who came on board about the same time as myself, Dr. Bill Okenpaul, uh did that evaluations at Gainesville and determined that there was one line that really stood out uh, for both yield and small plot clipping trials and persistence under grazing. And that was a line that we eventually named Floralta. Uh, that was released about 1984. We made distributions both here in North Florida and through the uh, owner research and education center, the Range Cattle Center uh, along there in the mid eighties. Uh, relatively quickly. Uh, some of the larger ranches and particularly I think uh, Deseret ranches in Kempfer uh, saw this grass and determined uh, that it had some utility in their beef cattle operations. Really the, what we found in South Florida is probably the main value of lymphograss grass is that it has just a bit more tolerance to light frost and cold temperatures in the winter time, than Bermuda grass or Bahia grass, and, and so it basically may be brown up or purple a little bit, but unless you have a really severe freeze, it stays green and growing during the winter time. And these producers suddenly said, "We can use this grass and essentially park our uh, mowing machines and hay balers and not have to make hay or not have to buy hay, or buy supplemental feed for the winter time, and, and have a feed." And so. Uh, Particularly with Deseret, they figured out some ways to propagate this quickly, and it became a major component of ranches. I think what this points out is having early adopters who see the value of a new plant and then figure out how it fits into their beef cattle operation is very important. And they did, and then other ranchers around began to see it. Uh, we don't have good statistics on acreage, but we've estimated probably between 400,000 and a half million acres of grass now scattered around uh, the state of Florida. And as some of you may know, we're beginning to look at the potential for it in North Florida uh, on some of the wet flatwood soils in North Florida.
0: And Dr. Kusenberg, then from the floralta we, we have that as a standard for many, many years. And then uh, recently in 2014, we released these two new hybrids that you cross. And uh can you please tell us what was the idea when you made the cross and and what we got out of the cross and
1: the effort? Okay. So uh sometimes cattlemen are probably more astute than, than researchers, uh and the thought came up this was this thing called genetic vulnerability, meaning that If you have one genotype over a large area, and then a disease or an insect comes in that preys on that particular genotype, that can lead to a catastrophe, and that we needed some more genetic variability. And through the work of the Cattlemen's, Florida Cattlemen's Research Committee, uh, and uh, Dr. Ann Blount particularly continued to bring this to the forefront. we determined that, okay, we need to go back and maybe do some crossing and some additional breeding to, to develop some additional genetic base to kind of diversify the limbo grasses that were out there. So the cross that was made was to take a line that was called Big Alta, which actually has a little bit better uh, digestibility and nutritive value, uh, but is not persistent with Floralta. And so that was the cross that was made. We produced about 50 F1 hybrids between those, and then began a program of evaluation. uh, Excuse me, both at ONA and at Gainesville, looking at again digestibility, quality, total yield, and persistence under grazing.
0: And uh, you think that now that we we narrow down to two that we release. And they are extremely popular in South Florida. So do, do you think
1: that the objective of the cross was achieved? Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, we feel like that uh, we were very successful. Uh, we had a couple of uh, graduate students who went through the evaluation of that material, Dr. Marcelo Wallo being one of those who's now our uh, Forge Extension Specialist at Gainesville uh, and part of his PhD, or master's research, I guess, uh, while he was here. Uh, and we identified those per- two particular lines that became uh, Gibtuk and Kenhai uh, as the two hybrids that were were released. And they both seem to be doing quite well. Uh, and we've had very good reports out of South Florida. I, I would like to take the chance,
0: Dr. Kuzenberg, to ask you one more thing. So every time that we go and talk to a producer, even in the podcast, and a producer is from South Florida, I ask them what is the main forage that they use. So they use bahia grass and limpo grass, right? Mm-hmm. So we talk about the limpo grass. I would like to ask you a few things about the bahia grass. Sure. We, we have been working with uh, diploids like Pensacola, and uh, we make 9, riata. But it seems that the tetraploids, the Argentine, are really popular in South Florida for a few reasons. Including persistence, production, and the value of seed and the value of sod, and and now we have this uh, collection of tetraploids that you develop as well, and we are evaluating. So, do you have the same hopes with that collection that we had with the limpograss? or you think that in in few years doing selection and work we may end up with a
1: better tetraploid? Uh, we have great hopes for those. Uh... We had a, a, a PhD student who, a master's and PhD student, who worked through that breeding program, uh, creating some new tetraploid hybrids. And without going into all the details of the genetics, uh, the tetraploids, once you get one good plant, then you can reproduce that plant through seed. And so we have several lines that we're looking at. Uh, we have those in small plot trials and grazing trials right now. Uh, uh, as most of the people listening to this will know one of the limitations to argentine is seed yield Uh, and and so it doesn't yield as high as the typical pensacola types do and so uh, if there is a problem with these new ones it'll probably be in that same range of do they have good enough seed yield that we can make them work uh, from as a seed planting crop but some of them definitely look better than argentine Uh, as you know argentine the production is kind of squeezed in the middle of the summer. These have better spring and fall uh, distribution of yield uh, than Argentine, and so we have hopes that uh, we may identify a line out of those. It'll be a good hybrid that would be uh, an alternative to Argentine.
0: On the pace that we are now with the plot, we have some at Ona, we have some in Mariana, and we have some in Gaines. Do you think like a five-year time frame will be um, something that we can think
1: about? Yes. I would say within the next five years, we we will definitely, if there's anything in there that's going to work, we will have identified it and be ready to move forward with a cultivar release. Um, and Dr. Quisenberry, uh,
0: we are going to the end of our conversation here. I would like to ask you one more question. So, uh, when you are not, because you became emeritus but are still coming to work. So, when you are not working, what is your hobby? What do you like to do on your uh,
1: spare time? Oh, there's lots of things that we do. When you get to be my age in life, one of the main things that occupies your time is grandchildren. Uh, and so we have uh, our son has two boys that are 13 and 8, and we see them a couple of times a week. And then our daughter has a set of twins, a boy and a girl who are three and a half, and they really occupy a lot of time. So uh, between the, the those grandchildren and they both live close to us in Gainesville. And then we like to travel and uh, participate in those kind of things as well.
0: Great. Dr. Kusenberg, I would like to thank you very much for participating in the podcast. I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what?